The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God, the Gospel of the Lord. be seated. And let us pray. God, we ask that you speak a word of rest and rejuvenation into our spirits, that when we are lost in the wilderness or tossed in the storm, that you might help us find you in the silence. Oh God, now let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the 1970s, a new term surrounding and concerning our precarious work-life balance was coined by the very first time. There was a German-American psychologist by the name of Dr. Herbert Freudenberger. Say that five times fast. He spent his career working with those in counseling um, who were in the helping professions, doctors, nurses, other counselors. In 1974, after years of study, he published a book. The book is called Burnout, The High Cost of High Achievement. Now, as you likely know, the term burnout continues to loom large in our contemporary imagination. And if you don't know the term, if you aren't familiar, you likely have experience, or someone you know likely has experience with the phenomenon itself. Here is how Freudenberger described it. Burnout is the extinction of motivation or incentive. The extinction of motivation or incentive, especially where one's devotion to a cause or relationship fails to produce the desired results. More than simple exhaustion, burnout is especially concerning because it robs us of our motivation. It steals our interest in those things that we actually love and care deeply about, whether those things be work or family or whatever. And burnout is especially tricky, as he says, because it's highly correlated to those things that we care the most deeply for. It's the things that we care about, 
that we love, that we hope for, that we desire, that if we don't manage well, can end up burning us out, leaving us deeply disappointed, jaded, alienated, unmotivated, apathetic, to the point where there are even physical repercussions beyond the social and emotional. Now, I personally think that the phenomenon of burnout is so widespread in today's world because the world increasingly feels more small and more dense. Society is continuing to accelerate at a seemingly breakneck pace, and with each new thing added to our plate, there are more standards to live up to, more stressors to face. So for good or bad, we all know more information from all across the globe all at once than ever before. We are in relationship with a higher number of people, probably than any other point in human history. We have an increasingly overwhelming number of options competing for our time and our energy. I mean, I mean just imagine all the things you could be doing right now instead of being here. We feel pressure upon pressure, anxiety upon anxiety, fear upon fear to perform and to perform well, to meet all the standards, to do all the things. And we can get caught up in it all because we mistakenly think that winning the rat race of our culture can ensure our ticket and our family's ticket into the good life. So we often end up working ourselves to death along the way. We find that most of those things that we love and desire can end up leaving us feeling jaded and unfulfilled, burnt out. Now it's especially easy, I fear, to feel a spiritual burnout. After all, faith leaders so often leave us disappointed. The church so easily loses focus on its mission in favor of political squabbles within the church. You know about those political concerns outside of the church. More often than I would like to admit it, we encounter religious folks who leave us wondering if they really know Jesus at all. Maybe when we look in the mirror ourselves, we wonder if we really know Jesus at all. With all this disappointment, it can begin to be easy to feel like our faith doesn't matter. And so this phenomenon, though perhaps elevated in today's world by our breakneck pace, is nothing new. One commentator I read this week on our reading from 1 Kings notes that burnout is likely what is behind this reading. Elijah, one of the greatest of the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, probably top two, has just performed one of his most memorable acts before our reading. He has been in competition with these other prophets and priests of the god Baal. Baal was sort of uh, the Israelites' mistress in those days in terms of a god. They kept leaving the god of Abraham to worship this god. So Elijah does what they can't. He challenges them to a competition. He summons fire from heaven down to consume a sacrificial bull. It's an Old Testament deep cut story for you if you can remember back to Sunday school. Now a chapter later, Elijah has fled them in fear of his life. And he has traveled a full 40 days and 40 nights away to Mount Horeb. The problem here is that he has traveled 40 days and 40 nights in the exact opposite direction than the one that he is supposed to be going. 
He is fleeing and running away from his responsibilities, from his vocation, from his call, from his God. And so our story picks up with this exchange between God and Elijah, who chases him down to Horeb. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, What are you doing here? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. This isn't a stereotypical burnout response, then I don't know what is. Elijah feels isolated, alienated, alone. He's tried to flee from God and from his calling. He notes that it's his very zeal for God that's now been turned in on itself, that's now inverted. He cared so much, and nothing seems to change. Spiritual burnout. So some background here. The mountain that he fleed away to, Mount Horeb, other places called Mount Sinai in Scripture, is where God revealed himself to Moses and gave Moses the Ten Commandments, perhaps one of, if not the most important moment in the entire Hebrew Bible. It's fitting, then, that Elijah ends up finding his way to this particular mountain because on this same mountain, God is about to prepare a new and different revelation for him. God parades a series of natural disasters, a windstorm, an earthquake, a wildfire. And yet our scripture notes that God was not present in any of those things. Instead, Elijah finds God present in a new and a surprising way. He doesn't recognize that God is there with him until he hears the sound of sheer silence. Instead of all the noise, instead of all of the cacophony of sounds, the crises that he's fleeing, the disasters before him, it's the whispers of, and that beautiful poetic language of the King James Version of the Bible, the whispers of a still, small voice that draws Elijah out of his hiding, back into dialogue and into relationship with God. And God answers, renewing his prophetic call, validating the pain he feels by granting him new leadership, a partner and a successor in Elijah, someone to lighten the load. And so it's no mistake that in our lectionary, in our three-year cycle of readings, that this story of Elijah in 1 Kings is paired with our gospel from Matthew 14, the story of Peter walking on the water and Jesus calming a storm on the Sea of Galilee. You see, first, like Elijah, Jesus takes a pause in the midst of his ministry. After feeding the 5,000, which has come just before this, he sends his disciples to go on ahead and goes up a mountain by himself to pray. Early the next morning, he comes walking on the waters to the disciples who have been wind-beaten and wave-tossed, battered by a storm. As he approaches them, they mistake him for a ghost and cry out in terror, and Jesus speaks to them words of comfort. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Sisters and brothers, how quick we are to forget amid the worries and pressures of our lives that Jesus is with us. 
how easy it is to let fear rule in our hearts, to let the standards and the pressures of this world take the driver's seat in our spirits. You see, when we lose our focus on Jesus, it is all too easy to become consumed by all of those other things that are out there vying for our time and our attention. And if we play by those rules, if we listen to those logics, the ones that are operative in the world, burnout can lie close at hand, robbing us of our joy, draining us of our purpose and motivation. And when burnout becomes spiritual, and it probably always is, at least a little bit, it can tempt us to look outside in the world and wonder if our faith matters, if we are making a difference. And in doing so, it robs the kingdom of God's co-workers in this great harvest of love that God has left for us. It steals the world's best hope. It robs God of God's deepest joy, full, authentic relationship with us. And so when we are faced with spiritual burnout, there are at least two lessons, I believe, that we can pull from these two moments in Scripture. First, when the pressures of our lives and the noises of our world rage around us and threaten to overwhelm us, we need to remember that God isn't necessarily present in all the noise. Instead, we find God more present in the silence. God's not in all of that pressure. We find God most powerfully when we are able to take a pause from all that is going on around us. Elijah only hears God in the silence. Jesus himself makes time to go up that mountain for silence and prayer. And if we want to hear God calling out to us, we must cultivate practices to shut out all of those noises in our world. We have got to make silence a spiritual discipline. We must learn and relearn all over again for our entire lives how to tap in to relationship with God. To rest. To let God remind us of our purpose and our focus, the very reason we share the gift of life in the first place. If we can cultivate those practices, if we can tap into relationship, we might find that rejuvenating our spirits is possible especially because of the second lesson, it's this. We are not in this alone. God never stops calling out to us. God grants Elijah a successor. Partners in ministry, Jesus comes to the disciples, comforting them. We are not in this together. We have one another, and that's powerful. So even when we feel at our most stressed and burnt out, we can see that God is waiting in our wilderness for us. Jesus comes to us in the midst of our storms, ready and willing for all of our protests and for all of our lament. No emotion is left unheard or unredeemed by God. Elijah brings God his anger and apathy. The disciples cry out in fear. And we can see that it's only when we begin to lay ourselves bare before God that we can begin to find our fears relieved our anxieties eased, our hearts comforted. 
there is something, I think, like a prayerful, holy venting at play here. God invites a processing. God wants real relationship with us. Elijah is coaxed out of that cave by nothing other than the sound of sheer silence of God's accompanying presence with him, even as he tries to flee from God and his task. And so when life feels overwhelming, when you have those moments when you feel burnt out, I invite you to cling to the words and promises of Christ this morning. Take heart. Don't be afraid. The good news of the gospel is not only that God is with us in the midst of our storms, but that he brings us comfort and encouragement no matter what we might face. That despite the failures of the church writ large of our local congregation, that despite the shortcomings of religious leaders that we see, despite, to put it frankly, the absurdity of religious faith in a materialistic world, we can still tap in to a spiritual rejuvenation. It's possible. It's possible if we can begin to cultivate those practices of silences, of learning to listen for God's still small voice calling out to us in the midst of our storms. So as we close today, we find ourselves at the end of summer vacation, at least for most of us, in the start of a new school year. Maybe that's at a new school. Maybe that's in a new town. Our calendars are all going to begin to feel really full really quick. We are going to start getting pulled in all sorts of different directions. And our hearts, I promise you, give it a month, are going to get worn thin. There's going to be a serious temptation in the midst of all of our busyness and all of the pressures we face to lose that focus on Christ. The gospel reading, I'll remind you, goes on. As Peter walks on the water towards Jesus, he loses his focus and in just that instant begins to sink. As we all know, it's all too easy to lose focus on Jesus when life starts to move fast, when things don't go as we plan. So I want to close today with a reminder of, good, of the good news of the gospel echoed across our readings for the day. God is with you in the wilderness. God is waiting for you in the silence. Jesus calls out to you in the midst of your storms. When you stumble, his hand is there waiting to pick you up again. And when those distractions mount, when the burnout begins to eat away at your spirit, I'll remind you that God invites you in Sunday in and Sunday out to this tried and true pattern that we share of holy rest, of holy refocusing, and of holy rejuvenation. Our faith it can and it will make a difference in your life and in the life we share in the world. Amen.